Hello, I'm Juliette Burton, and welcome to my show, Not So Lonely Planet. It's a show where we travel the world via the people who live in it. I sometimes get a bit sad because I'm never going to get to do everything or be everywhere or know about all the cool stuff in the world, and there's so much cool stuff in the world. But on this podcast, I might just get to explore a few weird and wonderful nooks and crannies of what makes us human by meeting some incredible humans who are deeply enthusiastic about a very specific thing. They found a small corner of this weird and wonderful world called existence, and they found joy there. How will I find the best people with similarly insatiable appetites for knowledge on a very specific subject? Well, each guest in this series will enthuse to me about their subject, and then, when they can enthuse no more, they will recommend another. In our last episode, we met London tour guide Robert Frimston. Do check it out if you haven't already. At the end of that episode, he recommended we chat to Sue Cloak, whose particular nerdy specialism is cheese. Now, I'm not only a fan of cheese... I'm also a fan of cheese puns, so be prepared. (laughs) Sue Cloak, lovely to chat with you. You are the woman behind uh, Cheese at Leadenhall. Um, Or actually, you're currently in front of Cheese at Leadenhall, the shop. We're sitting outside it right now. Um, Sue, when did you first start getting into cheese? I've been in cheese, I think, all my life, and I'm very old now. So uh, we, um, I kind of, I did a food a course at college, at Birmingham College of Food and Domestic Arts in the 70s, just shows how old I am. And at the end of that, you kind of know lots and lots of different things about lots and lots of different things. But I kind of wanted to specialise in something, wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. And um, my parents lived in North Wales, so my options after leaving college was either to go up back to North Wales, probably never to be seen again, or to try and find my way in the world. So I decided to leave Birmingham and I got a job in London as a nanny. I was looking after two boys who were not babies, thank goodness. The reason I'm telling you this is that we went uh, on a skiing holiday. So the boys, bless them, were up and running and already on skis at the time that I was nannying. So- What sort of age were they? Well, they were sort of four and six. Wow, and on skis already. Already on skis, so very enthusiastic. So very every morning and every afternoon, um, a lovely ski instructor took the boys away, so left Nanny, who wasn't going to be skiing. At that time, I thought, OK, I'm, I've, I've done a great food course. I want to know a little bit more about food, what's in the area. We were in the uh, French Alps, so beautiful cheese areas, as you probably know. And for p- kind of breakfast, lunch and dinner almost, you had the same cheese, which was actually a cheese called Tom de Savoie which was a local cheese to the area. Anyway, I just got very into this particular cheese and it was kind of the only cheese they served. It was a bit strange, actually. So uh, when I came back to London, I thought I really actually did get into this cheese. It was a bit repetitive, but I did kind of like it. So it's kind of an obsession for that particular cheese? Absolutely. What does it taste like? It's just a lovely earthy flavour. It's an unpasteurised cow's milk cheese. So little bit soft, a little bit hard, a bit unusual. I've never really tasted anything like this. Intriguing. um, Yes, and it was intriguing actually. So I decided to try and find somewhere that sold it. So uh, this was in the days of 
No podcasts, no internet, no, no social media. I know, can you believe it? A world of no podcasts. As you can hear, past me can't quite comprehend how terrible such a world would be. But in a world without distractions, Sue found a true connection to this cheese, Tom de Savoie, for which she was searching on an epic quest. I did know there was a cheese shop in German Street, which was Paxton and Whitfield. It still exists, doesn't it? Still exists. And um, I went into Paxton Whitfield and um, found my cheese in amongst lots of other cheeses that they sold. The Holy Grail. Bought my Tom de Savoie and thought, this is fantastic. I'm enjoying this again. Eventually, I um, left my job as a nanny and started work at Paxton and Whitfield. I decided at this stage this was going to be my sort of passion, my specialist subject, if you like. Uh, cheese, cheese generally, or that one specific cheese? Well, almost like one specific cheese, but the, actually cheese in general, because I thought I'd better widen my horizons slightly. Ever so slightly, maybe, but, but is that still got a, a special place in your heart, that particular I cheese? I think it has a little bit, yes, it has a little bit. Do um, you sell it here? I don't want to skip to the end of the story too soon, but do you sell it here? I do sell it Might here, Might we yes. be able to try it later? Yes, indeed. Okay, I'm think, very excited. I think that would be a, a good idea. Please carry on, though. This is um, a great story. So you're working in Paxton Whitfield. So I got a job at Paxton Whitfield, and as you say, it's still there. It's been around since 1797. It's a very beautiful shop. It's a lovely shop. It's a lovely shop. And it's when I was first there, it was very old-fashioned. There were men behind the counter, lots of lots of guys around. Were you the only woman working there? Uh, no, we did have a female cashier. Okay, but you were the only two women working there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you, you rose to go above them? I think I became assistant manager. Um, sort of probably about four, I've lost track of time, right? four or five years in, and then became general manager. So um, we still had the guys behind the counter. That wasn't going to change for a long time. Mm. I also became um, chairman of the German Street Association, which I think was one of the first times female had done this. Um, and I do remember people coming into the shop and saying, I want to speak to the manager. I'll say, and I used to say, okay, can I help you? Say, no, 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 I want to speak to the manager. And I had to break it to them that the manager, in fact, was a female. <laughs> so after that initial shock, um, they were quite happy to talk to me, but because um, I, I kind of knew what I was doing by this stage. Good on you. Thank you on behalf of women everywhere <laughs> for being a pioneer in speaking up and having a voice. Thank yes, you. Thank you. I, I think I probably peaked on that one, actually, to be honest. <laughs> I haven't really done that since. But anyway, it was an enjoyable time and it was an amazing introduction to the world of cheese. Um, and. Also at that stage, we had just started looking at the mail order idea. This is quite a new idea really in those sort of times. We started the Paxton Whitfield Cheese Club. This was the idea of sending a selection of cheese out on a monthly basis. So I got involved with the idea behind that, the selection of the cheese, and then the information to go out with the cheese. So that's kind of how I got into knowing a little bit more about the product that I wanted to specialise. And then in the 90s, was that when you got into, you, you, you kind of rose up the ranks even to become a judge at the British cheese, is it British cheese or international worldwide cheese? So competition? The, I am a, yes, a cheese judge, I guess. A cheese judge. A cheese judge. I'm not a technical judge, um, but, from time to time, um, I've been involved with the British Cheese Awards and the World Cheese Awards, in particular, those two categories, if you like. The World Cheese Awards are probably about 20, 25 years old now, and over the years, it's got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and now, for a normal World Cheese Awards, about 3,500 cheeses are exhibited and judged. So from that point of view, obviously, they're looking for a number of different people to judge those. You normally have a group of three judges, 
one is a technical person who knows everything there is about, say, cheddar or Stilton or whatever. I'm more of a general, all-round, knowledgeable judge, obviously having sold kind of all sorts of different cheeses for quite a long time. And then you have somebody like a podcaster, for example, or a journalist or a, or a chef. I am available to come and join you at the next okay. cheese competition. <laughs> so you get a very sort of eclectic range of judges and all with different sort of opinions and palettes and so on. So it kind of works quite well from a judging point of view. But yes, I, we have been involved with um, the British and the world judging uh, for quite a number of years now, which is always very exciting. It's a great opportunity to see lots and lots of different cheeses that you wouldn't normally have access to. That actually sounds very sexy and I'm very excited. I would love to come and join you and be on the judging panel. So how did you get to cheese at Leadenhall? So I was, um, I was at Harvey Nichols for 13 years, mm-hmm. um, which is quite a long time. And I, I took over uh, various departments as, um, as the, kind of the, the months and the years went, went by and people sort of came and went. And after I left Harvey Nichols, um, a couple of my cheese suppliers were looking basically for um, somewhere to sell specialist cheese. They had kind of gone down the route of, if you like, selling bulk cheeses and wanted to get back into the specialist market, uh, knew that I was um, free and said, would you like to try and find somewhere for us that might be a sort of specialist cheese unit, maybe some wine, maybe this, that and the other, depending on the venue. And we came across cheese at Leadenhall, as it is now, uh, in 2005, and decided to put together an idea which became Cheese at Leadenhall. They were my partners at the time and I was the manager, Um, so they are now um, not part of the business and it's my business totally. Amazing. So what can we do here at Cheese at Leadenhall? What what is it and what can we do? So we stock about 75 to 100 different cheeses from uh, the UK and Europe in particular. So we kind of specialise in cheeses that are made with um, unpasteurised milk, where flavour is the key, and also from fairly small suppliers, so not massively mainstream suppliers. So things that you might be able to not be able to find everywhere. We do the same with the wine. So obviously you come here and buy cheese and wine to take home and enjoy. But we started doing cheese wine tastings quite early on because everybody that is involved with the business has got some experience of talking about cheeses or wines. Uh, some of the wine guys we've had here are sommeliers or come from obviously wine, a, a strong wine background. And one of the nicest things to be able to do is to talk about the products we sell. And it was one of the things we tried to do at Harvey Nichols as well, because although it was Harvey Nichols, which is a big fashion company in the middle of Knightsbridge, similar to Harrods, etc., etc., we wanted to make the buyers quite accessible so that if customers came in and said, I really don't think about olive oils, tell me what is the best one to buy. We were on hand to be able to talk about that rather than we're somewhere in another unit somewhere and so on. And I, I, thought, I think that's really important to be honest. For a lot of people, high-end food or specialist food or, or wine or drink sometimes might feel a little bit elitist. Yes. Is it important to you to make it accessible to people? Oh, totally. And I, I think these days as well, more, more than any other time, people are very happy to ask questions and hopefully we can answer, you know, give sort of constructive answers, really. Because you're, you're educating people about something that you're passionate about. Yes, yes, that, that would be the idea. So otherwise, you're just sort of retailing and buying and selling and buying and selling. So the idea, kind of with the cheese and wine tastings, was A, 
it's a nice thing to do at the end of the day. So we kind of introduce a number of different cheeses and then match them with wines, um, which is just a lovely sort of marriage of flavours if you get it right. And can you get quite scientific and quite nerdy about the, the flavours and the pairings between cheeses and wines? Uh, you can do if people are kind of interested in that. I tend to keep it a little bit lighter, to be absolutely honest. The joy of the tasting is really to enjoy the tasting informally. So we will then talk through the cheeses, talk through the wines, and let you then taste the cheese and wine together. And so you can talk to each other or the group or whoever you're with about the, the flavours and experiences you personally are sort of experiencing, really. In terms of education, you mentioned um, unpasteurised cheese. Forgive me, I don't really know the difference between pasteurised and unpasteurised. What is it? I don't understand. OK, all cheese is pasteurised to kill anything harmful off. Otherwise, you know, that, that would be obviously an issue. But technically, if something is unpasteurised, it is kept at that temperature. Then if it's pasteurised, it's heated further. Uh, at that stage, um, basically the main difference is a pasteurised cheese will be a little bit more stable, usually milder, um, and an unpasteurised cheese will be a little bit more earthy, more flavoursome, and ripens up a little bit quicker. So stable in terms of flavour or stable in terms of... Um, both, I mean... both in actual fact. I mean, if you take a brie, for example, a brie de Meaux, which is unpasteurised, has been heat treated, obviously to kill anything harmful off. But the difference between a kind of brie de Meaux uh, and pasteurised brie, brie de Meaux will be a lot softer, creamier, earthier, sometimes riper, but it won't have the life that a pasteurised brie will have. So it is, it's the true authentic brie as produced many years ago. And this is a, a, an AOC cheese, so it's protected. So this is how the brie makers want that cheese to be presented, brie de Meaux. And then if you have a, a pasteurised brie, it's a lot more stable, firmer, bit lighter, maybe creamier, um, and it will certainly last a little bit longer. So is that the kind of crowd pleaser generally, the kind of stuff that we'd find in the supermarket? Most general supermarkets probably have pasteurised versions because, um, yes, as you say, they will appeal to a bigger audience. Um, I would always try and urge people to find the unpasteurised original version, so maybe to go to a cheese shop or a bigger supermarket that spends a bit more time on their cheeses, as it were. Um, but, you know, you just need to ask the question really to the people selling the cheese and all cheese should be is labelled very, very clearly now as well. And the prices aren't astronomical, are they? Like if you go to a specialist cheese shop, it's not going to be necessarily that much more expensive than going to the supermarket, um, or, or is it? Um, it depends on the cheese, to be honest. I think um, a lot of cheeses that we would stock are a little bit more mature, maybe produced in smaller quantities. Um, they will be a little bit more expensive. But the idea with, we, we buy whole cheeses, so you can buy exactly what you want. And you can say, right, I need, I need a little bit for today or a little bit for cheese selection I'm doing for the weekend or whatever. So the idea is that you're not wasting cheese and you're buying exactly what you want rather than sort of having a pre-cut piece that you might potentially waste as such. So you mentioned uh, you can do cheese and wine tastings here. Um, but you have a restaurant as well and you do cheese walking tours. Yes, we do. So the, the restaurant um, is open from uh, 12 o'clock uh, for lunch on to about 3, 3.30. And so we do a very, very wicked, um, say, for example, a croque monsieur, a, a madame. Obviously, we do platters, uh, cheese platters For anyone who so doesn't know what a croque monsieur is or a croque madame, what are they? So it's basically a very beautiful uh, toasted cheese sandwich type idea, but it's made with bechamel. The bechamel's got gruyere within it. Uh, good quality ham, lovely bread, and with a madame, it's a little fried, free-range egg on top. And one can 
leave their imagination to guess why that would be the name of it. Yeah. Lovely. And the walking tour as well. You, you have a walking tour of the history of cheese in London um, and it's led by somebody that you know who's also an enthusiast. You're an enthusiast of cheese and he is an enthusiast of cheese and history, is that correct? So um, I originally worked with a guy called Henry and Henry is an amazing character. And he did some work for a well-known internet provider. And it was a sort of thank you to some of their contributors as to, they, he devised a sort of walk around London. And it was a fairly, for want of a better word, a cheesy walk. So it was about a mile within from, from us. And he devised lots of cheesy facts, which were obviously historically correct. He imparted this knowledge, he spent a long time re um, researching it, putting the thing together and so on. And it was for one night only, literally. And they ended up at Cheese at Leavenhall having a tasting, which is kind of uh, how we sort of met him. But I just felt that he'd put such a lot of effort into it. And it was such a well-constructed walk and talk. And of course, from my point of view, lots of hysterical, historical, cheesy facts that I thought, let's try and work together with Henry. So we started doing the City Cheese Walk, uh, which combines the walk and a cheese and wine tasting at the end of it. Leavenhall is now 700 years old, so it was first established in 1321. Wow, so that's it, even further back than the 70s. Yes, yes, before my time, I hasten to add, just. Um, but this is one of the obviously one of the oldest markets in London and it's a true original market you know there are obviously lots of other things happening at the moment lots of buildings going up and brand new buildings and so on but um, just, just so Leadenhall at the moment is celebrating 700 years of history and it involves such people as Dick Whittington who was the Lord Mayor of London at, the t at one of the times that we're here the Great Fire of London right up to Harry Potter, have you heard of him? I've heard of him, okay. I've never met him though. No, Maybe in another podcast episode yes, potentially. Yes, exactly. But the, the, walking, the walking tour, I think most people that um, have, have done this come back enthused about the history of London from a cheesy perspective, but also have learned something. It's been kind of fun as well. So I love that because you're going to come back with loads of pub quiz trivia knowledge, all sorts of things that I'm sure will stick with you for the rest of rest of your time. Do you get to try cheese along the way on the tour? You do, you do. There's um, things like Cheshire, Stilton, Cheddars, and they come up at various points of the... Uh, I think there's even a, a little game involved as well, involving something called Baby Bell. So Baby Bell? We're, we're using Baby Bell in a slightly irreverent way in that, in that way, um, using it more as a sort of wheel. What is the game? I believe the game is um, you are rolling the Baby Bell, no disrespect to Baby Bell, down a little hill and there is a prize and guess what the prize is in fact a cheddar so ah so you you're, you're chucking the baby bell away but you're but you've got the cheddar as the prize that's right, right that's basically that's the way it, the, it, it, it all works in context and yet you mentioned that this is a beautiful historic uh, market from the 1300s um, and now we've got so all these very modern buildings we're, we're near the gherkin we've of course got um, the walkie-talkie and um, very importantly very close to us we've got the cheese grater you have indeed we have indeed we've been sitting here outside cheese at Leadenhall staring in I mean I've, I've been trying to make eye contact with you but honestly behind you there's a fridge full of cheese could we maybe pop in and have a little smell a little maybe even a taste of absolutely Hooray! absolutely Yay! Sue took me inside her shop which although it appears small is perfectly formed with high walls 
baristas or cheese servers busying themselves serving customers, a small bar with walls and walls of wine, a tiny counter with scales to weigh out the delicious dairy produce, and an ornate metal spiral staircase dramatically situated in the middle. And to the right of that spiralling attention seeker, at last we have the glowing, sultry and seductive lights of fridges full of cheese. So welcome to our uh, cheese fridge. These are all uh, a lovely range of uh, cheddars. So we have cheeses from the Cheddar Gorge itself, so both smoked and um, plain. So they're up, up the top and they're, they're quite um, yellowy, orangey, big chunks, uh, triangular chunks of, of, yes, cheddar. Yeah. And those, the Cheddar Gorge Company actually uh, mature all their cheeses in the caves of the Cheddar Gorge. In the actual so the, caves? The actual caves of Cheddar Gorge. There's only one company now that d does this. There used to be a lot more. But this is uh, cheese that's physically um, been matured in the, ch in the caves. So they are sort of fairly damp uh, caves, but they do work extremely well for a natural maturing situation for cheese. So the caves themselves will influence the flavour of the cheese? Little bit, yeah. Little bit, That's yes. that you can taste the caves. If ever Skittles go into making cheese-flavoured sweets, I'd be willing to sell Taste the Caves as a motto for a very reasonable sum. I'd also be willing to sell the idea of cheese-flavoured sweets for a very reasonable price too. Enough of my hustle and back to Sue and me, who clearly is fairly hungry at this point. We've got so many other cheeses here as well. I feel like maybe we can't do them all justice. Can you pick out a couple of your favourites, a couple of the more unusual ones that sure. you could tell us about? At the back here is a Brie de Meaux with a layer of truffle running through it. So that's a fairly special cheese. So you've already got the unpasteurised Brie de Meaux, so quite a big flavour. Quite a nice ripe cheese as well. But it's also got a layer of truffle and cream running through it. So very strong, quite earthy sort of flavour, kind of completely changed the flavour, obviously, of the Brie de Meaux. Yes, yeah, so that's you fairly the special. Brie de Meaux earlier, so that's the, the kind of the, the people who make Brie, it's the, the breeds that, the classic Brie, the Brie that they, they yeah, would say. The this original, is brie. Brie, I original I guess, Brie, I guess, yes. And to look at it, it kind of looks like an incredibly decadent sandwich. Um, it just looks like there's all the cream, all of the, the milkiness in there. So, yeah, dairy. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely cheese. Um, you don't need to get, you don't need to buy a lot of that to get that a massive flavour, to be absolutely honest. It's a, it's a, it, it is a special cheese. And maybe not, you know, maybe not for every day, but it's for, certainly for special occasions. And we also have Osirati, which is a sheep's milk cheese from the Basque region. And Osirati is one of our favourite cheeses. It's not going to be the strongest cheese you ever taste. It's um, a lovely sort of four, we buy it as a four kilo cheese. Um, and I would describe that as a fat bottom cheese, and we like a fat bottom here. It allows the cheese to mature. It's, as I say, a little bit sweet, a little bit nutty. Uh, World Cheese Award winner, again. And um, sometimes in the Basque region, they will serve that with a little black cherry confit. Would you like to taste some? I mean, yes. Uh, that is a not, that's not a trick question, is it? Because there's only one correct answer. Finally, we sat down to eat some of Sue's lifelong passion. Okay, so this is Osseo Arati, 
Uh, this is one of my favorite cheeses, to be honest. Um, it's not going to be the strongest cheese you ever taste. There's a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of nuttiness going on here. Uh, it's a sheep's milk cheese from the Basque region, so the area up in the mountains between France and Spain. Um, and it's obviously very much a local cheese. Um, I think Osseo is uh, the uh, reference to the valley it's produced in, and Rati is the um, forest near to the area. And uh, would you like to have a little taste? I would love to, okay. So. so in that area, as I mentioned, you might um, prefer to have this with a little bit of black cherry confit, so you'd have the difference between the sort of the sweet and the sour almost. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Can I have another slice? Why not? Okay. Why not? It's really, it's kind of nutty. Yeah. Am, I, am I right? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of nutty flavour. And I say, it's not going to be the strongest cheese you ever taste. And if you have a more mature version, it becomes a little bit more like a sort of um, a manchego sort of style. But again, this is the type of cheese that you could have a little slice, thin slice of this for breakfast with your sort of, uh, you know, just sort of set you up for the day. It's that sort of, it's not a very um, enriched cheese, but it's just a really lovely Moorish cheese to taste. It's um, it's very smooth, it's very silky um, in terms of texture, um, but it is it is a hard cheese, it's, yeah. not, a, it's not a soft cheese. Um, and it's kind of almost translucent when to look at. Um, yes. You can see the slate coming through now that I've nibbled my way through a couple of the top layers of slices. Um, are you going to partake in some of some? Well, this I might do indeed. It's actually, it's worthy of note in that it won the World Cheese Awards twice. So it's, it's an actually amazing cheese. I think if you travel to this neck of the woods, which is the Basque region, you, they will use this cheese in lots of different shapes and forms. They'll use it for cooking. They also put things like peppers, truffle, fruits, and so on in the cheese, and also allow it to mature as well. So it becomes much, much, much firmer. It's kind of like a baseline cheese that you can do your own sort of um, yeah. DIY, make it your own. Yes, exactly. But I, I prefer this style like this, a little bit younger, a little bit fresher. I think you just get the absolute purity of the cheese. Um, what happens, you said younger and fresher, what happens when a cheese gets older then? It gets more, does it get more intense in flavour? It gets more intense, it loses some of its moisture. So as, as the sort of months and sometimes the years go, go by, the, the flavours change completely and become almost like a complex flavour. And normally that's a very good thing. So things like cheddars, gruyeres, emmentals, comptes, those sort of things. The flavour is just enhanced over time. But sometimes cheese doesn't necessarily need to be that mature to get what is required. So the cheese maker will have a very clear idea as to what they ultimately want from the cheese they produce. This is the cheese that it all began with. So uh, remind us of its name. Uh, Tom de Savoir. So this is the one that you uh, discovered a passion for when you were nannying uh, and the kids were off skiing and you had nothing to do all day other than breakfast, lunch, dinner, same cheese. Can you explain what the makeup of this cheese is? How would you ex describe it to somebody who was at the, the cheese competition, the world cheese competition? Mm. So um, from a name point of view, first of all, we're, we're very simple souls in the world of cheese. So Tom de Savoir, Tom is a reference to the shape, which is a, la a sort of round disc shape. That's a reference to Tom. And you see quite a lot of cheeses called Tom de something or other. Um, and Savoir is obviously the region it comes from. So very simply, it's the round cheese from the Savoir region, Tom de Savoir. Not named after Tom Savoir. No, he, is. he had nothing to do with this. Okay. No. Well, then, then but he, do, he does love the cheese, which is actually a bit of a Brucey bonus, really. <laughs> um, 
It's a sort of semi-hard type of cheese, lovely sort of texture and flavour. Um, has developed a good flavour very quickly. Um, the rind is quite earthy and I have sometimes described it as a sort of farmhouse type of aroma, really. It's quite a lot going on. Um, I don't really know any other cheese like this. And again, this would also maybe work with a kind of a sweet chutney. Would you like to try? I would love to. So from my unknowledgeable eye, becoming more knowledgeable by the minute, thanks to Sue though, um, this is quite a, again, it's, it's, it seems like a hard cheese. It's not, it's not a soft cheese. It looks quite pale. Um, it, sm it smells quite fragrant, like quite fruity. Oh, that tastes like nothing else. I was not expecting that at all. That's, it's really, it's really fruity. It's got lots of layers to it. Am I, I don't know whether I'm saying the right word. It tastes like there's loads of different flavor layers yes, to it. Yes, it's, 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 um, it's just quite an interesting cheese, to be honest, quite a lot going on, very natural. It's been around, this is also a, a sort of protected cheese as well. Um, and in the area that I was in, it is almost the only cheese they, they produce locally. Other areas will produce things like Reblochon or Comte or Beaufort, Morbier, some all from that region. But this particular area I was in, this was the one and only cheese that it was uh, producing. Because texture-wise, it isn't—it isn't a soft cheese. But then it's—it's got—it's—it kind of has some flavours that remind me of, of blue cheeses, kind of coming through, even though it's not a blue cheese. Um, and then, yes, kind of sweeter towards the end as well. Yes. Okay. Um, you can imagine um, that I had, uh, you have to bear in mind the time that I was talking about. So I had not had much access to lots of different international cheeses. Um, kind of domestically, we had quite plain cheeses. Uh, so to sort of travel abroad and to try something like this, never ever tasted anything like this. So it was a, it was a kind of bit of a joy and quite interesting. And as obviously I've said, I've, I had quite a lot of it at the time, but um, each one was different in its own little way. I love that. It's, it's like this this cheese opened up a whole new world mm. for you. It was a coming of age via cheese. Mm. I like that very much. And I think it has just, it certainly piqued my interest. I think I would like to possibly buy some before we leave. I might, I might stay for lunch. I did stay for lunch. But before that, I wanted to ask Sue why she became such a passionate nerd about this one particular dairy product. Um, I think when I did my course, which was home economics, and you did lots and lots of different things, you covered lots of different subjects in home economics, you became a sort of jack of all trades, master of none. So I just felt I kind of wanted to be a bit of a master of something and specialise in something. I don't know why. And this trip that I had, I just thought actually cheese could be the thing. Didn't know really very much about cheese at all. But as I got more and more into the product, what attracted me was the stories behind the product. The, the people that make it, the flavours, the, although it's, the word is cheese, in that subject you've got lots of different textures and flavours of milks and each product has obviously been made by somebody who's passionate about the product and they do the same thing day after day. Um, it's hard work, things can go wrong, they have to get up very, very early in all weathers and produce a very, very consistent product. 
And each cheese that I've ever worked with, there's always a story behind it. There's always a character behind it. There's always a country behind it. And that's really what I kind of wanted to do. I mean, I could have gone into lots of different things, and, and I don't, but I don't think I would have got as much out of it personally. Um, I'm just curious, and when I started uh, working for Paxton Whitfield, I got more and more into the cheesemaker side and the influences they had gone through and the stories behind their development as well. And for me, it was like a big, fat learning curve. So, you know, here I am sort of however many years later, um, still wittering on about cheese, uh, but it has held my attention all these years in actual fact. And there's always something different and there's always going to be another cheese that I haven't seen that I can get into. I love the fact that maybe that means that your fridge full of cheese is a fridge full of stories, fridge full of families, fridge full of mm. characters behind the cheese then. Mm. Um, so I've always been fascinated by this question. I don't know the answer. I really hope you can help me. You're a cheese monger. What is a monger? A monger is a seller of cheese. So a fishmonger is a seller of fish. Ironmonger, seller, seller of, of iron, iron things, yes. So I guess I'm a podcast monger. It, is that or a pod monger a pod monger selling of pods sure I, I, I thank you so much for selling, giving me selling stories maybe selling story stories. monger story, story monger, monger. right I'm putting that on my Twitter bio yes. other social media outlets are available and you can find us on them all and Sue in fact too we are looking for more enthusiasts to go and visit in our next episode uh, who would you recommend? What enthusiast would you recommend we visit next? So one of uh, our, my ex-colleagues, actually, Adam, is very passionate about all sorts of different things, in actual fact. And he speaks very, very passionately about lots and lots of different yeah, subjects. An enthusiast of enthusiasm. Well, exactly, yes. And over the years, I think he's been involved in all sorts of different things, from food to wine to art. But I think his latest passion is knives. Knives? Knives, do I, yes. do I want to go visit Adam? Well, he's going to actually make his own knives. And because of his um, food background as a chef, and he's a very, very good chef, um, he's got quite, if we pardon the word, pardon the pun, a sort of edge on it. I mean, don't pardon the pun, let's celebrate the pun. And he's making them himself? Physically making them himself. He's, he's uh, working with an artisan knife maker down in Kent and uh, we, he's just literally working on those right now as we speak. This is a wonderful knife edge to lead, leave us on in this particular episode. Sue, thank you so much for, for being uh, able to chat to us today and uh, thank you for sparing some time in Leadenhall uh, and Market and in Cheese in Leadenhall with me. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming. It's been Gouda to speak with Sue, cheesily the best expert on this subject. The producer was too mature for cheese puns, and I thought, how dare he not like them? If you enjoyed this episode, yes, it is over, but don't shed a tear. We've more episodes in the series for you to enjoy. Next time, we'll be on the cutting edge talking to Adam about knives and so much more. Much, much, much more that nobody was expecting. Trust me, it'll be a cut above the rest. This has been a hat trip production. The producer is Andy Goddard. <laughs>